Welcome to Top Docs. I'm Mike Merrill, and with me is my co-host, Ken Jacobson. Hey, Mike. How's it going? On Top Docs, we talk to award-winning documentary filmmakers. Kicking off our Emmy Awards series, we have the directors of the Emmy-nominated Boy State, Amanda McBain and Jesse Moss. The film follows high school-age students as they navigate Texas Boy State, a program sponsored by the American Legion, which is meant to simulate the democratic process of building a party slate and electing leaders. Hey, Ken, did you happen to go to Boy State when you were in high school? I wanted to go. My best friend in high school actually participated in California Boys State. And I remember it was a pretty big deal for him, but alas, I was not among the chosen few. <laughs> yeah, me neither. But I was big in student council. I was even president of the student council my senior year. Mr. President. Watching the film, one thing that resonated for me was what our interviewees call a mix of high-mindedness and buffoonery. Speaking of high-mindedness and buffoonery, did you know that besides such luminaries as Bill Clinton, Neil Armstrong, and yes, Michael Jordan, other Boy State participants include James Gandolfini, Bruce Springsteen, and John Bon Jovi. New Jersey's best right there. You know, I couldn't help but notice that Jesse and Amanda's credit appears right next to a picture of Boy State alum Rush Limbaugh. I guess that seems sort of indicative of the way they're able to engage with political opinions that they may not share. One of the most surprising things for me was to hear that they're still in contact with Ben and they have a good relationship with him. He's an interesting guy, as we see in the film, he's really conservative and he's kind of unforgiving in some ways and not very apologetic or empathetic or sympathetic, but they know the real Ben and they really... I think, like him and consider him a collaborator on the film. I think give him a lot of credit for helping them shape the film. While we're on the topic of credits, Jesse and Amanda have directed and produced an incredibly impressive body of work. Notable titles include their first film together, Speedo, the Demolition Derby Love Story from 2003, which is a feature verite doc about the promising racing career and troubled family life of Ed Speedo Yeager, one of the nation's top demolition derby drivers. The incomparable film, The Overnighters, a real masterpiece, in my opinion, doc filmmaking from 2014 about Pastor Jay Reinke and his family and the men who make their way to their small North Dakota town to try to find work during the fracking boom of the 2010s. And The Bandit, 2016, about stuntman Hal Needham and star Burt Reynolds and the making of Smokey and The Bandit. And then any day now to be released on Amazon Prime is Mayor Pete, about current U.S. Transportation Secretary and former presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg. That's a pretty impressive list. I'm guessing there's some award winners in there. Boys State won the Sundance Grand Jury Prize in 2020 and was shortlisted for the Academy Award for Best Documentary. The Overnighters was also shortlisted for an Academy Award and was the Sundance 2014 winner of a special jury prize, quote, for intuitive filmmaking for the portrayal of a complex character as told through remarkably intimate moments. Which I think is a phrase that could apply to all their work. Uh, They also won the Audience Award at full frame for Speedo, among many, many other awards. In rewatching Boys State, it really struck me how similar some of the themes are to The Overnighters. In that film, you've got the main character, Pastor Jay, who is a very different person in public than his private self. 
And ultimately that creates a huge moral chasm that he cannot breach. And it really brings him down as a human being. And while there's nothing so dramatic in Boy's state, this tension between private and public morality is very much a theme of the film. And it's something that's really fascinating to watch. The film that I know them best from is The Bandit, which as you described, is about Hal Needham and Burt Reynolds. It really does focus on this very close relationship. As we spoke to them, I couldn't help but notice how they worked together, how they built upon each other's answers. And it really seemed to me that you're seeing a version of their working relationship. You always wonder what it would be like to work with a close friend or a spouse and in The Bandit. And in this interview, we see how they find a way to do that well. The fact that they did the interview on Zoom in the same frame, sitting side by side, and it might've even been in their kitchen and there were no pots or pans thrown at each other. I think it speaks to the fact that they're still bonded by the work they did together on this film. Coming up is our interview with Amanda McBain and Jesse Moss on Boy State. And it was one in which I think we learned a lot about how they made the film and even the motivations of the central characters at its heart. Amanda and Jesse, welcome. Thank you. Hi, thanks for having me. We like to start with a big question. Why do you make documentary films? I don't have a short answer other than I really don't know how to do anything else that would fulfill me in the way that this does. I have questions about people, about the world, about our culture, about all these things. It's really my way of investigating them and spending time with people who I find endlessly fascinating particularly people who exist in worlds that I rarely get to visit in my day-to-day personal life. How about you, Jesse? When I discovered docs, I think it was clear this was the thing I needed to do, I wanted to do. Like Amanda said, I couldn't imagine moving through the world any other way. When I sometimes think about changing my career, I can't imagine what else I would do or could do or be qualified to do. I love the unstructured freedom of documentary storytelling. I love that it's political, it's artistic, it's journalistic, it's sort of a unholy mashup of all of those things. There are no written rules, which I love and is also scary. It's such a dynamic industry. Every project challenges me in in, in different ways and I get to learn, which is a privilege. I'm thrilled to be here with you, Amanda and Jesse, talking about your great film, Boy State. Can you tell us where did the idea come from and how did the project come together? I think that the film was the result of two converging ideas. One was this big question of how did we get to be so polarized as a country? What's our future politically? Can we ever come together in any constructive way? That was one line of thinking. The other was reading about Texas Boys State in the Washington Post in 2017 after Trump's election, discovering that the boys in Texas had voted that year to secede from the union, a kind of lark, a joke made me laugh. But also I thought, what a fascinating program and prism to look at the question of polarization through the eyes of young people coming of age politically in this moment. And we love the playfulness of the space, but also the seriousness of the space as storytellers. These two threads converged and and that launched us on the project of Boy State. We do want to talk about these boys in much more detail, but you very clearly represent the broad range of ethnic and racial diversity in Texas, but maybe not at Boy State itself. How did you think about that? The program itself is very old and I think is 
working on making itself more current, but has a lot of work to do in exactly that space, which is representation better reflecting the actual demographics of Texas. As you see in the film, the people who end up getting invited and coming tend to skew very white and very conservative and very rural. And that doesn't reflect Texas as it currently is. So for us, it was really important to, in our film, follow the experience of four kids who are coming from different places, have different life experiences. That was important in the six months we spent casting, going through Texas and finding people who did not only represent different politics, but obviously represented different demographics. I don't think that the goal was necessarily to produce a portrait of the program Texas Boys State, but to follow young men from different backgrounds. We knew that the progressive boys we identified would be in the minority, but in some ways they're in the minority as a whole in the, in the state and in the nation. Boys State is a little bit like the U.S. Senate. It's supposed to represent the country but it doesn't, we don't live in a perfect union. We live in a very imperfect union and we accepted the imperfections and imbalance of the program, so to speak, as just a given. That's our reality too. I'm curious, how did you get access? How did you get permission from the American Legion? And were they nervous at all about your participation? I could imagine for a couple of reasons. And also it's a very conservative organization. The American Legion sponsors Boys State, but every state is run by its own department. I called the leadership at Texas Boys State and they took my call, which is already a good sign. That first conversation that I had with the chairman at the time was fantastic. Of course, they were nervous. We're documentary filmmakers. What does that mean? You want to embed. But one of the ways that we get into that conversation is by really showing them all our past work by talking to them about everything that we honestly are questioning, which turned out to be an overlap of what they were also questioning. How did our country get so divided? And they love their program. I think fundamentally, the real leap of faith for them was just allowing us to come look at it, but really come look at it. Don't just parachute in, take a snapshot of something salacious and leave, which had happened with news media, like, for instance, the coverage of that vote to secede in 2017, they wanted us to really live it for the week. And that's, of course, what we wanted to do, too. The central idea of the program is civil discourse. And that was the central question of our project. And I think it was alignment. It wasn't a hard sell. So let's talk about the four boys. We've got Ben and Renee, who end up being party chairs for their respective parties, the Federalists and the Nationalists. And then Stephen and Rob, who are competing against each other to be the Nationalist Party for governor, which is the highest office at Boys State. How did you land on those four? They're really incredible characters. They are incredible. Uh, they're still incredible. We talk to them a lot and every day they're presenting new facets of themselves to us, which is one of the, I don't know, the privileges of documentary is these are real people and their lives continue. So we love that about that. They're still in our lives. We found three to begin with. The fourth came during the week of Texas Boys State. That was Renee. Really a first challenge and central project for us was to identify these boys amidst 1,100 that were coming, who would we film? And that was just a lot of, I guess, sweat equity labor across the state of Texas, meeting every boy we could who we thought might be open to this and interesting and casting a very wide net. Amanda 
did an incredible amount of work just talking to everybody who was helping to select them and looking for leads and shards of information that could direct us to a boy who might be interesting. Phones are not great with Gen Z, 17-year-old boys, not so awesome. But then when we got to Texas and we really got into people's homes and we met their siblings and when you start to see what's on their walls, you really get to know somebody. And we had to know a lot of really interesting and complicated and complex kids. We had a very specific need in finding the four people we were going to follow. First of all, they had to do well in the program. We had to feel like we were betting on the fastest horses in some ways, but in other ways, we needed them to be vulnerable as humans and open to this kind of crucible that they would go through in this program. They could transform, and that was a very exciting potential this program had. So who was the kid who had both those things, political savvy, but also an openness to self-reflection and change? And that took a while to find those people. Casting's not a rational process. It's not a checklist. It's more intuitive, and it's about putting people on camera, too. So we spent three times as many days shooting casting than it took to shoot the film. As Amanda said, it was like a film unto itself and a privilege to meet all these kids. The ones we cast really cast themselves, I like to say, because it was so obvious to us that they were extraordinary and complicated and confident and vulnerable and smart and politically engaged. And those were qualities that we were interested in, and they presented them in surprising ways. Ben immediately, Robert immediately. <laughs> they just grabbed us. Robert was actually the very first boy we ever met in person. He came down the stairs. First frame of film. He's like stepped out of a Richard Linklater film. He's handsome. He is politically quite astute, says outrageous things in outrageous ways, had these cowboy boots that he bought with his Bitcoin profit. How could you not put him in a movie? I guess I'll confess he's my favorite character because he seems like a cardboard cutout at first. Texas good old boy, cowboy boots, gun. West Point, you name it. And then at some point we learn, for instance, he's actually pro-choice. We also see him becoming more self-aware and learning throughout the course of the week, learning about himself, learning about other people. Were there things that surprised you about Rob, about his journey over the course of this week at Boy State? Yes, everything. Again, the way the film is cut is also an accurate reflection of our experience learning, getting to know, I knew this guy in high school, right? Everybody had one of these guys in their high school and there he is on the stairs and he's doing the whole thing. And so part of me is having a high school reaction to that, which is judgy. Actually, in our first conversation with him, he already surprised me. I thought, gosh, this guy has a lot more dimension than I ever would have expected. I think of all the characters, his coming of age in that week was pretty significant. Here is a guy who is win, 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 and he lost. And I think that in his loss, he learned a lot about his priorities and in his then pivot to support Stephen, it was a really beautiful moment for him as a person. Also really a beautiful moment for Stephen to see that those guys like Robert exist. And I think there's a corrective on that and a, definitely a subversion of expectation. But yeah, something that was happening between the two of them, I think was profound corrective in like how we usually expect those dynamics to work, which is always exciting in documentary when people surprise you like that. Can I make a connection to another film that you folks worked on, The Bandit, a delightful film about Hal Needham, legendary stuntman who became a director. Burt Reynolds in the making of Smokey and the Bandit. There's a very self-reflective quote by Burt Reynolds. He says, the bandit's covering up his vulnerability 
and his sensitivity with lots of braggadocio and fancy shirts. That's about the bandit. That's about Burt Reynolds. That's about men in the seventies. Also, I think it's about men in general. It definitely seems like performative masculinity is a theme that you have here. I, I think you're the first person to make that connection to Bert and the bandit and, and Robert, but I, I think you're absolutely right to make it. And, and that subject of performative masculinity is a strong through line in, in our work together, going back to Speedo, which is the first movie we ever worked on together. It's very much about a kind of tough guy exterior with a conflicted, sensitive interior, trying to reconcile these two facets of himself and they don't fit neatly together. They, they don't for any of us, do they? And to me, that's where documentary storytelling lives in that space. Call it the space between in Boy State itself as a program, sort of its high-minded seriousness and its ludicrous buffoonery, that dramatic tension, which I think to me was plumbed first by the Maisels and a lot of their work is where cinema verite in particular lives and breathes. And, and you know, why uh, I'm so drawn to characters like Robert, like Ed Speedo, Jager, Scott Tucker, Pastor Jay. I don't know. We'll have to get on the couch and get a shrink in here to figure that one out. <laughs> Talk about my parents' divorce. Too. Robert is the starkest embodiment of that in the film and that his confession, which he has a total surprise to us. Uh, we didn't know he was concealing his true feelings about abortion uh, until he decided to reveal them. It's just a testament to Robert and who he is, uh, his willingness to share, to grow, to come to know thyself as he does is, is what we were seeking as storytellers and entering this space. And Robert showed us that in a really profound way. Let's talk about Rene. Speaking of masculinity is quite interesting because he's giving his speech to try to become party chair. And right before him, there's a very testosterone-fueled speech by a young man who's saying, our masculinity shall not be infringed. And then we see a cutaway of Renee, and he's standing there, and he's got an earring, and he looks a lot different, a person of color. And he's a very different personality and approaches politics very differently. He also turns out to be extremely savvy politically. He beats down the secession movement. He fights off his own impeachment against him. Ultimately, he's sort of vanquished a bit by Ben, but he's nonetheless very savvy. Renee and Ben both immediately present their brilliance. It's just undeniable the minute they start speaking. Renee is also an incredible writer. As you see in his speech he gives, which is how we met him, he stood up. Uh, we, thank goodness we were there filming that particular meeting. And we all knew immediately this guy has to be in our movie. He's extraordinary. This is an adult in a room and a full of kids. Fortunately, they voted him in. They recognized his brilliance too. I think Rene, he's always aware of his audience. He is very clear on who he is and what he looks like and how he sounds and who's watching him and how they're watching him. And I thought that is important if you're going to be working a room on the level that he was and Ben too. They're both very self-aware. I think what surprised me about Rene in the end, he is someone who seems a lot tougher on the outside than, of course, he is inside. A little bit like Ben, actually, although Ben does reveal some of his vulnerability more often. But Rene really, it took us a little bit of time to get close to him. The, the moment of Rene's election to his party chair is the first moment that we realized this program was unpredictable and that this mass of conservative white boys from rural small towns in Texas were capable of taking us in surprising directions. And we see that as Stephen, of course, becomes the candidate for his party and the final confrontation of the two parties. Now, there, there were 
as you see with the um, impeachment movement, there, there was that sort of reactionary streak. But we didn't know to anticipate that. And that, that was exciting to us that we could be surprised by the political dynamics of this group of boys. And, and what's interesting about the Stevens story is there's just a hint of it, right? Stevens' introduction is it's very special in that he arrives to go to Boy State by himself. He doesn't have his parents in the scene. He has a wonderful sweet mother, Laurencia, who came to the Sundance premiere, but he, he was actually comfortable bringing us into his home. Stephen has a, a much more precarious family circumstance than the other boys, certainly Robert and Ben. We learn more about his story later after the big speech, after our view of him completely is altered. We see him as this quiet, maybe a little bit awkward to the other kids. And then he just turns all that awkwardness into this incredible speech. It changes our whole view. I think that's the, the advantage of an edit that takes it. I don't know how long it took a year plus is that you can be judicious too about the information you reveal. And when you reveal, of course, that's the art of storytelling and documentary narrative construction. And looking back at the film now, you're like, of course that belongs there. And that's how we should cut the scene and sequence the introduction of characters. But these were not obvious questions. And I can tell you in our experience, the first 15 minutes of a movie are where so much work and experimentation and iteration happens to, to establish the world, the characters, the rules, the tone, the style. This one was, woo! there was a lot of rules to the world to explain in addition to the real world, in addition to four characters you're introducing. It's just, uh, it was a thing and a half. One thing we like to talk about, and I think it's especially true on this film, is the edit, how you feel as an audience watching this film. We didn't feel like we were done editing until that experience emotionally really paralleled our experience watching these guys go through this program. And so what you feel when you first meet Stephen, which is here's this sweet, earnest guy you trust, who's obviously liberal in a sea of red, whatever he says, but you're really not sure he's going to do very well. We were really nervous for Stephen when he first arrived because he was really nervous. And also he really struggled. And Ben too, actually, which surprised us because I thought he would do better, but he really flailed. But that was our feeling like, oh no, we're going to have to lose these two guys who were so invested in emotionally because they're not going to do well in the program. We're going to have to let them go. And that was heartbreaking that, of course, both of them pivoted quickly and day two was a better day. To get back to Stephen, because you raised a point that I wanted to pursue, which is when you came to realize that he was really going to be first among equals here. He was going to become your main protagonist. And his story was going to be slightly raised above the others and that he was going to carry the heaviest emotional load for the audience. When did all that sort of dawn on you? And then how did you go about creating those emotions in the edit? The very first conversation I ever had with Stephen, the interview on the stairs of his apartment complex where he lives in Houston, he said things that. I couldn't believe would come out of the mouth of a 17 year old, just about his own life and the wisdom and the sort of idealism. It was profound. I talked to enough boys who were going into the program that I knew he was exceptional in that regard and his, his political maturity and where his politics came from and his lived experience. The book about Lincoln that his third grade teacher had given him that inspired him. This was who he was. We had actually filmed him. You see briefly in this introduction, he was knocking on doors for a congressional candidate in Houston. And it was about 110 degrees that day. And it was brutal. He was working by himself and he was going down his checklist of doors to knock on. 
I just saw that he didn't cut any corners. Most of us would have given up because no one was answering and he was getting no traction. And he was like, no, I got to do this. I got to do this. And I was like, man, he's a very special kid and he's got this work ethic. So I knew he was bringing these special qualities into this space. The X factor, which you alluded to, I think is his ability to actually speak to connect with an audience and the ability he has, he demonstrates to do that. We, we had no glimpse of before he presents it to us in the film. And that is a gift that very few people have, even professional politicians in high office, where that comes from, how he found it, how he summoned it in that moment. If he never had it before that, whether the camera emboldened him or the simple fact that he'd worked hard enough to get himself on that ballot is what emboldened him. I don't know, but that's where he began to soar. Ben, we could spend hours just talking about Ben. I love with each of these four characters, how you introduce them. I think you do a marvelous job with Ben. It's just an amazing sequence where we see him sitting in his computer, Googling great speeches. He's got his Ronald Reagan action figure and his little brother there that he's inculcating a little bit into his politics. And then the very next shot we see. Ben typing and he has what many would describe as a disability and yet he's an amazing typist. Then right after that is what I would describe as you mentioned Richard Linklater earlier, I would say it's a very Lynchian scene for me with his parents and his brother and Ben in the kitchen and just the triangulation of where everybody is positioned and the body language and just how Ben is addressing them. It's almost like he's giving a speech. I think that is the first real scene that we shot. And, and it was so unpredictable that the stepfather is not even wearing a t-shirt. They let us into their home and his mother, Karen, who's a wonderful person was there. And Ben reveals his politics. He learned so much about him. There's tension between his mother and him politically. And that's an undercurrent of what you feel in the scene. It's clear that he has these political ambitions. There's so much there. I don't even think we recognized how much was there. And we weren't sure how much of the casting material would find its way into the film. And these very considered choices we made. As we were meeting the boys, we always wanted to go into their bedrooms because they reveal so much about them. Like you mentioned that Reagan doll and just seeing Ben in this natural lair. We worked hard to find ways to define these boys up front at the top of the film in ways that were true to them, but also left room for us to still get to know them. You guys talked about how one of the motivating factors for this project was what was happening in our broader political sphere and how Boys State might be a reflection of that. and. Lo and behold, we have Ben, who is following the Trump playbook here. Ultimately, he uses this conceit of we're being excluded, we're being shut down, and rides that all the way to victory. And then his own conclusion about that is basically, I'm right, but right or wrong, you just have to do what's necessary to win. Winning at all costs. Winners make policy, losers go home kind of idea about politics. That was Ben's MO during this week. And I think he took the project of winning the election as the main event. However, the event ends. Ben goes home. Ben then watches a rough cut of her film. And I think that the film has been a second part of his journey, frankly, as has the 2020 election and watching all of the darkness of that. He's really grown a lot more, frankly, since the event. First of all, he got to know all the guys on the other side personally. 
Second of all, he really did watch the corrosive effect of that kind of win at all cost politics. Like in the end, somebody's going to win and then you have a country that's fighting with itself. So what good is that? It's been profound to hear him talk all of last year while we were touring with this film about his feelings of, would you call it regret? I think that it's, it's reflection really on how complicated it is to win when you burn the house down while you're doing it and you hurt people in the process. And I think the hurting people he regrets, but I think he's still processing how politics can work and being inspired, frankly, by Stephen's ability to get as far as he did as unlikely an underdog as he was on principled politics, on the kind of serve others, not yourself, bridge making Politics at its best can bring people together. The film was shot at a moment of what I would call peak Trump, June 2018. Ben's actions answered a question we had going into the project, which was the extent to which Trump's rhetoric behaviors were normalizing things, certainly for, for young people. But we know now, it seems naive to think that they, they couldn't be, they wouldn't be. Of course they were, but to see it manifest in the way, as you say, Ben says, he takes a page from the Trump playbook was Shocking and, and heartbreaking too. It precipitated a big debate in the edit room, Ken, about whether we use it in the film. Did we need to say Trump's name? Did we need to, to let Ben say that he took a page from the Trump playbook? It's clear to everybody without naming him, but we ended up feeling like we should. And uh, I'm happy with that choice. But in a way, we also didn't want to timestamp the movie. You never do with documentaries. They are made in a moment and that's the power of the film. It's not separable from that moment. But at the same time, I hope that the enduring value of the film is that it goes well beyond that divisive moment that we've just lived through and will continue to yield some insight when we're hopefully well beyond Trump. I have a newly minted a young man in my family. My oldest son turned 18 yesterday. It's a really interesting thing where they're a kid and suddenly they're 18. They can vote and they can sign contracts and they can go to war. It's tough. You think about the person differently. And I wonder these young men Sometimes they say things that make me really a little judgmental. And I'm like, but they're kids. They're just kids. But are they just kids or are they nascent adults? That space, that moment in time in their life is exactly one of the things that drew us to this program. And one of the reasons the program happens at 17 and not 20 and not 16. We have a 15 year old, it's not 17 yet. But that moment, yeah, right before you move out of the house right before you do all the things you just mentioned. Boat in particular is very important to this program. That is an incredible moment in time where, yes, you are still half puppy, but also half grown up and you're capable of incredible maturity and then at times incredible immaturity. What's so interesting about this program and what played out and this particular year we filmed the program was just what moments in boy state reflected the adult state behavior, which itself could be considered incredibly immature and horrible, even though we're all adults. And what was choices they made on their own? And so each of these boys had different combinations of those things. But separate from that, also just where do we get our politics? And at what point is it you parroting your parents? And at what point is it your own? I think they're at that cusp. And that's such a fascinating time in life where you're picking and choosing what you're going to carry with you culturally from your parents raising you and what you're going out into the world with on your own. I loved that about each one of these kids had a totally different set of those things. You mentioned that you showed the rough cut to Ben and I'm just curious showing the rough cut to the other characters. Were there any 
revelations or changes that came out. Well, Ben had two pages of notes, which was awesome. I feel like we should show him all the rough cuts of all of our movies. I think for him, it was processing really that he wasn't the hero of the movie, that he was one of four people. And in fact, on some level, he was the villain. And I think that kind of making sense of the whole picture of him, that he had all these powers that are in the film and all of his glory, but also that there was some uh, other way to view him winning that he hadn't really pondered before. That was really interesting. We showed it to Stephen and Robert as well. And actually, Renee made the choice. He wanted to see it at a premiere in a big room with a lot of people. Stephen, in particular, I think, was concerned about the vulnerability that he shows yeah. crying in the film. And it helped him to see it in an Alamo draft house. They, they all saw the rough cut together and there was laughter and there was crying. And I think it moved everybody. And I think he came away feel confident that it was representing him and his experience. You end the film on this very positive note from Stephen about himself, about the country. And I wonder, given what you saw, are you hopeful? I love this question because I always say I'm both, which is like a political answer, but it's also emotionally how I feel. And I think probably how politics has always worked. It is a combination of worry. There is just so many problems that need to be fixed. But on the other hand, I'm incredibly hopeful because there are these magicians, these bridge makers, these people who just have an ability to bring us together. It's as if they were put on this planet to be those people. And I'm not saying those people are left or right. They've come in both forms. You need to hold on to those people and nurture them when you find them. I do believe Stephen's one of those people. Congratulations to you both on Boys State. It is an incredible film. And we are very curious to hear what's next. We made a film called Mayor Pete about Mayor Pete running for president which is going to be coming out on Amazon pretty soon. I had a incredible access to Pete and Chastin, so very intimate. I shot almost all of it by myself. It's really their personal story going through this experience of becoming a, a major presidential candidate. And of course, from small town mayor to cabinet secretary, he's going to be around for a long time and doing good things for our country, I think. We will do Girl State. Yeah. We're working on that with Apple, developing that project. It's not a sequel, it's a sibling won't be in Texas. We have a eye on a couple of states with great programs and all kinds of interesting politics. So hopefully next summer, COVID permitting, we'll be able to shoot that. Jesse and Amanda, it's been great having you here today. Thanks so much, Amanda and Jesse. Great talking to you today and can't wait to see the next film. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you. And Michael, you get the award for mentioning the bandit. Kind of a lost work. No, but you know what? The Texas Boy State guys, that, that was the movie of ours that they had seen before. You That's know probably I mean? why we got in the door. Like, right? they, they made a movie that went around. Just watched the Overnighters and everything else, but that was the film they'd yeah. already seen. So they're like, ow. How bad could they be? <laughs> we like Burt Reynolds. And now it's time for Hidden Gems. Can I get a documentary recommendation from each of you? Maybe it's something that's not widely known, that's maybe a little overlooked. Yeah, one film comes to mind I saw last year, which I love, called Casa My Home. It's a verite doc about a family that lives off the grid outside of Bucharest in a swamp. The children forage in the swamp and the family is forced to move into the city. It's just extraordinary. Like a lot of European verite films, no interviews. It's just all in the moment. It feels like a narrative film and it's unpredictable rhythms. It's there's narrative development. I, I, I loved it. It's a small film, but it's a beautiful film. I was just thinking about Seventeen, which is a film I don't even know when, 70 something, right? It's just so weird and so human. 
and it's related to this film. The masterful portrait of middle America, which resonates for us in the work we've done. 